Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, hello, how are you? It's Daryl. We're back. It's Cage Rage, episode two of Cage Rage and Nicolas Cage podcast. Lovely to be back with you. Thank you for having me and letting me in to your ear holes. Uh, Now, I've done a little bit of work on the show, if you can call it that. Uh, It's now available on YouTube. It's available on Acast.com. And also, it's only bloody available on Spotify as well. That's exciting. That's a thing. Ultimately, it doesn't really mean anything. Anyone can put a show on Spotify. But... Has that stopped me from swinging my dick left, right, and centre around? Throwing out that Spotify uh, dick-swinging card? No. No, it absolutely hasn't. So, um, hopefully now, for the ease of your commutes, uh, your streaming purposes, if you're working from home as well and want something to put in the background and you want to listen to this guy's dulcet tones talking about Nicolas Cage films, then you've come to the right place. And we welcome you aboard the cage train. We are on the journey to true cage nirvana. Um, And now we're on episode two. Can you believe that? He's committed. He's committed to it. No one thought he was going to do it. But I knew, I always knew, that this was my true calling. Uh, Now, for episode two, we move on, as we often do in the filmography, the chronological order of Nicolas Cage films, we move on to another film from 1983, and this is Rumblefish from 1983. I know what you're thinking, of course Nicolas Cage starred in a film called Rumblefish, of course he did it. Uh, Now this was directed by Francis Ford Coppola, so no wonder he got the bloody role, eh? No wonder he got the bloody role. Um, it's an American drama film directed by Mr. Coppola, based on a novel by the same name, Rumblefish, by S.E. Hinton, who also co-wrote the screenplay here. And in this film, it based on Mickey Rourke's character um, called The Motorcycle Boy. Uh, very important that you get the in there. It is the motorcycle boy. Um, Does he have an actual name? Probably. Do we ever find out what that name is? No, it's probably Jeff. Jeff Motorcycle Boy. In this, this is a a much younger Mickey Rourke as well. I know certainly people of my generation are a lot used to seeing Mickey Rourke post uh, surgery, a lot of facial work he's had done in the meantime. In this, completely different. He looks like uh, a cross between Bruce Willis and John Sim. By no means a bad thing. Quite a handsome man. Um, you may ask why he had the work done and had all that lip filler done. But it worked for him in The Wrestler. So, have that. That's good. Enjoy that. Now, it's the, um, the motorcycle boy that he plays. A former gang leader who's since left town to uh, pursue non-gang related activities and we focus most on his younger brother Rusty James played by a 19 year old Matt Dillon who idolises his brother uh, wants nothing more than to become the next motorcycle boy, motorcycle lad the uh, the Robin to his Batman and take after him and leads the next wave of gangs in the uh, fair setting of Tulsa, Oklahoma, is where this is all taking place. Now, I know what you're asking. Okay, it's all good and well that Mickey Rourke and Matt Dillon are in the film, but where, where, dear listeners, Nicolas Cage will let me tell you. He's in this film. He's got some nice little parts. Now, I'm going to be honest, it's not as meaty as Valley Girl. It's not as prominent as his character in Valley Girl, but still quite an important part in the grand scheme of things. And don't worry, we'll get to all of them in very good time. Now, 
into the meat of the film. This is a black and white film. It's a very uh, stylized film, very avant-garde. It's uh, completely different from the previous Cage film, Valley Girl, which is all colour and wide scenery shots and very Hollywood in its setting. This is much more uh, film noir, I suppose you'd say. Um, Very high contrast, black and white, a lot of uh, new wave style cinematography in there. Um, Very noticeable for the expressionism style. Uh, A lot of underlying scores as well. I believe it was a, a score by Stuart Copeland, who, if you don't know, the drummer of the musical group The Police. So, this has a lot of stuff going for it. I've just watched the film prior to recording this. Um, quite enjoyed it more than Valley Girl. So, getting into this now, we start in a little milkshake diner. We're meeting the characters Rusty James. Is his name? He's the main character, and I will say as well: if you do watch this, uh, take <laughs> take a drink every time the name Rusty James is mentioned, because in I would say the first ten minutes, they probably say Rusty James anywhere from twenty to thirty times. So if you want some avant-garde drinking games, a little bit different. I know we're all used to drinking to Lord of the Rings every time the hobbits are out of their depth. Every time they look at the one ring, every time there's a close-up on Gandalf's face, you'll be absolutely ruined. Now, the most important thing in the first ten minutes, aside from all the mentions of Rusty James, is one minute and thirty seconds in. Nicholas Cage, sighting confirmed. There he is. He's got a delicious jacket on it with this uh, playing cards emblazoned into the left chest. Um, I think it's the two of two of spades. You know, when I think of playing cards, and I think of the two of spades, two of spades, Nicholas Cage. Yeah, yeah. You take a minute to think about all of that. Um, he's looking very good as well. Um, very magnetic presence in all of this. Uh, I was, you know, slightly I had to do a double take. He had a glint in his eye. There was just something about him in this film. Which again, even though he doesn't have a lot of screen time, I know, I know, I was just as disappointed as you are. Um, when he is on screen, it's you know, he draws the eye. He's got a good head of hair in this as well. I don't think we can really overstate how strong the hair is. It's a full quiff, a luscious uh, mound of hair. These were the days when he did have hair of his own. Not much like years later when he would be in full-on cage mode, screaming the house down, running round, uh, screaming, which, you know, we'll get to it in good time, but right here, this were the signs of a burgeoning actor who had, to, if anything, too much talent. No awards yet. Yet, they are coming, they're in the horizon, but he had it all to come. Uh, now, Nicolas Cage's character, smoking because it's the 50s, or thereabouts. Never actually established what year it's in, but stylistically, and with the fact that they're all drinking milkshakes, uh, like the bloody jazz hand-waving West Side Story hoodlums that they are, you got to assume it is in around the 50s. Now, Lawrence Fishburne is also in this film as well. Uh, a very young Lawrence Fishburne, who is credited as Larry Fishburne, um, a little bit of cage trivia, they would, uh, Lawrence and Nicholas would later go on to star together in the film Running With The Devil, which we will get to in very good time. Now, uh, Lawrence Fishburne's character called Midget. Why is he called Midget? He's not a midget. I don't know. It was just that's what they called you in the times. Uh, he announces to Rusty, who is the leader of this Tulsa gang, they... I don't believe they've got a gang name. If we let's just call them the Nicholas Cages, for the sake of these, uh, that he tells them that the rival gang member Biff, because it's the fifties, of course he's called Biff. Of course he is. What else did you name a boy in the fifties? I think one in five American children were named Biff. 
which interestingly enough is actually short for Biffington. So just putting that out there. Uh, I'm sure there's a character in the old school stories, the Magic Key called Biff. He was probably a Biffington as well. Probably a nonce. Now he advises that Biff is looking for a fight. Now Rusty James, he's all but up for it. He wants a piece of this. He wants some of that action. Nicolas Cage, however, in a rare turn for form, is actually the voice of reason in all of this. Believe that or not. He doesn't understand what fighting's going to achieve. If anything, he's advising the Nicolas Cages against it. He's a smart man. You know there's men that are smart? He's one of the smartest of the months. You know, I think we can all learn something from Nicolas Cage's bravery to stand up to his friends when it's not always the easiest thing. To be fair, if Nicolas Cage was in Gryffindor, Dumbledore would have given him five house points for that. Easy. Easy house points, mate. One of the other gang members implies that Nicolas Cage is a chicken. Uh, it gives him the old buck, buck, buck noises. Uh, now, as you well know, during that era, that time period, from one man to another, being called a chicken was probably the worst thing that you could call someone. Um, it was a horrible omen to have hanging above your head. It was like probably as bad as what was it? Else was going in the fifties? Polio. Um, probably as bad as having polio. If you're a chicken or you had polio, if you had both, the chicolio, get out of town, mate. What the fuck are you doing? Smokey relents. He says to Rusty James, you know, I've always got you back. I'm going to be there with you no matter what happens. So they go into it. They take Steve with them. Now, Steve is... I'm going to be honest, I'm not sure what the point of Steve is. He might have had more of a prominent role in the novel. Uh, but here, he just does a weird thing where, you know, he's not a fighter. Rusty establishes that they've known each other since they were young. So he likes having him around. He looks out for him. Nice of Rusty. He's a nice He's a nice lad. He's misguided, but a nice boy. And he does a thing where he's in the background and he takes notes on what Rusty gets up to. Um, now you're assuming, is he taking notes to give to the motorcycle boy later on? Is it for his own benefit? I'm going to let you in on a little spoiler. We never find out. Now, for all we know, he's just drawing dick pics with a heart around them and RJ on the top of those hearts. I don't know. I'm not implying. I don't want to suggest. Steve, you do you. You're a nice guy. You're not into all the uh, the violence business. But I just want to understand you. If you were going to share a scene... With Nicolas Cage. I want to know what you bring into that scene. Because right now. It's nothing. But good penmanship. Steve aside. They do eventually go to. Uh, the meeting. I don't, know, I don't know if you can call gang fights meetings. That sounds a bit official doesn't it. Um, to the. The reckoning. I've never been in a gang. You can probably tell. I don't know if collecting Pokemon cards or Crazy Bones counting as a gang. I had a Sharky once. Remember, remember Sharky? Everyone wanted Sharky, didn't they? Because he was good for Crazy Bones throwing games. I bet he's worth a lot now. I think my Sharky ended up in a bin. Livid. I would have brought a Sharky to a gang fight. Then they would have known exactly what I was all about. Now Biff turns up. Cage on Team Rusty quickly advises us that Biff has been taking pills. Obviously Biff has been taking pills. He's very sweaty. A lot of the characters are very sweaty in this. The assumption is, I guess Oklahoma's a hot place. I don't know. I've never been there. But they've always got these like ringlets of sweat on the side of their head. The fringes are dripping. Nicholas Cage, though... I will put this out there. At no point in the film does he sweat. No, I don't know if that's an artistic choice. I don't know if, in real life, Nicolas Cage just doesn't have sweat glands. He seems above sweat. He's the kind of guy that, if you think about a celebrity who sweats, Nicolas Cage is not that man. 
You know, I don't think I don't think anyone has ever seen him sweat. Answers on the postcard, if you've ever seen that. Now Biff, he brings a knife to a Nicolas Cage fight because he's a son of a bitch. Fuck you, Biff. Rusty uses his jacket, starts whipping it at Biff to try and disarm him, to try and take him down. Uh, Nicholas Cage quite helpfully um, tells Rusty James to go for the neck. Go for the neck. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a knife fight and all you had at your disposal was a jacket. Is it is it the right thing to do to whip someone in the neck with a jacket? Does that work? I've never been in a fight. I wouldn't know. I'd, I mean, my cat has, you know, nibbled at my hand once. I don't know if you'd count that as a fight. I've never whipped my cat in the neck with a jacket, though. Because even, even if that scenario happened, where it's either me or the cat, and all I've got is a jacket, I don't know if I'd whip him in the neck. If that would be the thing to do. I have no idea. Rusty James comes out on top. He's very acrobatic. He's all monkey barring around. He's running and he's jumping. He's doing all of these kicks. It's um, very exciting. And he takes Biff down. He beats seven shades of absolute shite out of Biff. But then, out of nowhere, vrum vrum, it's only the bloody motorcycle boy. He's back. Apropos of nothing. Very coolly played by Mickey Rourke. Very unaffected by the surroundings going on around him. He says to everyone, you know, I thought I thought there was a treaty. Because as we learn, the motorcycle boy, the motorcycle boy put a stop to the gang fights. There was a treaty by the time he's left. He's been out of the picture for a few months. But in the midst of his distraction, Biff gets in a cheeky knife slash to the side of Rusty James. Rusty James goes down. A motorcycle boy. He does not like this at all. And delivers. Uh, what I think can be agreed is. Perhaps the greatest finishing move. In all of the cinema. When he revs his bike. And then just fucks it into Biff. <laughs> he just fucks the bike into Biff. And. Biff. Just gets turned inside out. Like. A harpsichord on a trampoline. He goes inside out. I think he died. I think he died. Um, And Nicolas Cage was there, and he let it happen. Now that's... I don't have a motorbike, but if I did, I don't know that I'd throw it at anyone. I don't even know how he did it. But when you've got a name like The Mr. The Motorcycle Boy... Why wouldn't you just fuck your motorbike at someone? Genuinely, I had to pause the film at that point. I was like, what the fuck just happened? This is probably one of the more... I can't. I don't even know if I'd call it an outrageous moment, but it's... By your odds with the rest of the film, there's not a terrific amount of violence in it. Um, it, it came off a little bit slapstick, um, honestly. This was about 15 minutes or so into the film, 15, 16 minutes in. Very funny. I don't know if you've ever seen a a man have a bike just revved and essentially launched at him. Very funny. And I thoroughly recommend it. Now, back into the business. Rusty James is taken back to a house by Motorcycle Boy and Steve. Uh, They nurse him back to health overnight. Obviously, uh, they don't want anything to do with the hospital. So they get a bit of the old alcohol out, pour it on his wound... And as far as the film implies, that's the only medical attention that Rusty James gets. Very weirdly, there was a sound effect when he had the the, uh, the alcohol pulled in his side. Like it was sizzling, like he somehow cauterised the wound. So I don't know what they drank in the 50s, but that's why they own all the housing now. Motorcycle Boy uh, just starts thinking about his brother as well. Obviously very concerned for him, doesn't always outwardly show it. Rusty and Steve start talking about Motorcycle Boy, how uh, even though he's 21, 
people think he looks really old at the grand age of 25. They think he looks 25. So if you're 25 or older, like I am, well, fuck you. You're old. You're finished. Where's your pension? Huh? I've got nothing. I've got a cat. Probably get about 20 quid for it. I'm not going to sell my cat. I won't sell my cat. Uh, also, not only is he 21 going on 25, he is colourblind, he's partially deaf, he has very aloof attitudes, does the motorcycle boy, and because of this, uh, people think he might be a bit crazy. Um, this is what they chalk it up to. All of this is adding up. These three social wrongs are not making a right. They think he's a bit odd. They think he's a bit odd. Now, fortunately, Rusty James does make a recovery. He goes to visit his sweetheart, uh, his sweetheart Patty, after uh, afterwards. Um, afterwards, I should say before. Now, um, Patty will come into the story a few times. In fact, Rusty James was nearly late for the fight because he was missing uh, visiting Patty. He visits her at her house. Now she's like, you know, we're not supposed to have boys around. Never have boys around. Boys are awful. Boys make everything bad. Don't trust us. If you see me in the street, spit at me. Well, not whilst COVID-19 is going around. Kick me in the shin at least and say it's nothing personal. It's just, you know. And I'll be like, I do know. I'm completely aware of why this has happened. Put me in a bin. Now they get down to the smooching. Once uh, they've got rid of Donna, Patty's sister, because she's third wheeling. Um, The implication is that they have a nice little romantic bonk on the couch, and then he has a post-coital nap. We've all been there. Am I right? I think I am. And when he wakes up, he's running late. He was supposed to be at the battleground by half nine. It's now quarter to ten. He goes to run away. Patty does not like him fighting. We don't like our boys fighting. Why are you fighting, boys? What have you got to prove? Stop swinging those dicks unless you're streaming on Spotify like this guy. She gives him a great line. Uh, Patty says to Rusty James, You're better than cool. You're warm. Um, Which is, if anything, a direct contradiction to the song Hey Yeah by Outkast, where they implied the only thing cooler than cool was ice cold. And now, I don't know what to believe about temperature anymore. What temperature am I? Am I room temperature? Am I slightly melting ice? I have no idea anymore. Am I ill? Am I just ill? Now RJ makes it in time, the fight ensues, the motorcycle gets fucked, he gets slashed... And we never see Biff again. You have to assume Biff is dead. Um, like I said, fun fight scene. It's just like watching the film, uh, a film version of the game Streets of Rage. It's with all the jumping and leaping and uh, motorcycle Tom fuckery. And then the mental finishing move. As they're leaving the fight as well, there's a gentleman who will turn up a few more times. Officer Patterson. Uh, this guy has... Maybe the best moustache in cinema. Certainly in 1983. I don't think there was an award for it, but when I say to you, porn star moustache, you get a visual in your head and you know exactly what I mean. And you just think of the most pristine, most luscious moustache you can. This is Officer Patterson. So from now on, he will be known as Officer Pornstache. Now, he is not a fan of the motorcycle boy. He was very happy that he'd left town. He's very unhappy that he's returned to town. Because the police getting in the way of us kids and our flying machines. God, I wish I had a porn star moustache. You know, mine, it's, it's like a small jam stain. It's dried on. I'm trying to work it, but you can only do so much. You know what I mean? Um, My moustache... Not that impressive. Officer Pornstache, as soon as you see him, as soon as you see that moustache, I don't know about you, but the first thought in my mind was, well, here is a man who has been eating ass longer than I've been alive. And I'm going to go as far to say he's quite good at it. 
I don't think I can make the same claim. I won't make the same claim. I don't believe my skills of ass consumption are up there. In the top 1%. The 1% as they should be. So there's food for thought for you. Ass food. Hell, back to the film. Uh, Rusty's still trying to impress Patty. Um, he wants to take her out and do things with her, but he's got no money. Um, ain't that just the truth at the moment? So, we're then introduced to the father of the boys, who was just referred to as uh, father in the credits, played by Dennis Hopper, no less. Um, he's an alcoholic, he's living off welfare, he's been on a bit of a downward spiral. Ever since his wife, the boy's mother, left, he's got a nice bottle of something on him. Motorcycle boy grapples him to take it away, and his father says, Oh, you're just like your mother. How dare... Yes, how dare people care for people? How dare your son not want to see you drink? Now, uh, Rusty James, whilst this is happening, tells Motorcycle Boy that he saw Cassandra... Um, now she is someone that we meet briefly it is implied that at some point in the past Motorcycle Boy and Cassandra um, were if not lovers they definitely had a romantic intonation uh, perhaps of the sexual variety Cassandra said she's stopped using heroin Motorcycle Boy says that he believes her Father says that the Greeks must have got her Um, so quite Quite tap on the nose there, ha ha ha, if you're into your Greek history. Very nice little little joke on the myths there. Now, if you, like me, had no idea what the fuck he was talking about, uh, also like Rusty James, I had a quick look into it. Now, in Greek myth, Cassandra was a woman cursed to utter true prophecies, but never be believed. So in Greek times, calling someone a Cassandra was basically the same as calling someone a Karen today. So there's your context. A little bit of history for you. You didn't think you were going to get that, did you? Didn't think you were going to get some Greek history on this podcast. These are the things about Nicolas Cage films. You have no idea what's going to happen. I had no idea. I thought the Greeks gave us yoghurt. And look, we learned about Cassandra today. So tell your friends at the office, and you'll look like an absolute... Big hogged son of a gun. Now, next was a scene that seemed to come out of nowhere. Um, a bunch of the teens, they um, break into a building, Rusty James and Smokey as part of them, and there's just a few shots of them all. I guess having an orgy is the best way to describe it. They're just... Just, just, boom, surprise orgy. And now all you hear is, is uh, one of the characters is Smokey. You always have the best ideas. So even though he's not in the film much, what do we know about Smokey so far? He's loyal. He's got Rusty James's back. He doesn't think fighting is the answer to everything. And he knows how to host a fuck party. My boy Cage hosting fuck parties, sucking and fucking like there's no tomorrow. This is what you come for. This is what he came for. And this is just how he how he rolls. Silent but deadly. Hogger plenty. Smoky boy smoking down. Smoking on dicks. I don't know what happens. Um, orgies. Now, also here, uh, a little bit controversial, but they're all drinking a bit, and it does appear that our boy Rusty James has a little bit of an infatuation... A little bit of a situation, a little bit of the hokey pokey, you put your left leg in, your left arm out, in, out, in, out, shake it all around. You do the smoky coke and you turn around. That's what it's all about. With another whammon. Naughty. Naughty. Now, soon after this, we don't have to hang on too long. Uh, Rusty Jane's meets up with Patty. She knows all about the party. She knows that he's been up to... Very nefarious deeds indeed. And she breaks up with him on the spot. She says, I don't want anything to do with you. Walks off into the smoke. And she's out of town. Rusty, very annoyed about this. He's been rumbled. He's been rumble-fished. He finds Motorcycle Boy. He's at a local store looking at magazines. 
Um, but for some reason, they make a whole point of Motorcycle Boy had his picture taken. He's in a magazine. We don't really know why. It just seems to be a thing that happened. Uh, but he's like, let's just not tell anyone about this. And Russ is like, yeah, all right. That's brotherhood for you. You want someone to get you back? That son of a bitch has got you back. Bros, before Calopo... Calaho... Calaho... Calahonia? Calahonia. For every one of you who thought that what the fuck was Dow just trying to do there, is California is where Motorcycle Boy went in the months where he disappeared. His plan was to go and visit the ocean. He wanted to follow the river, visit the ocean... And he just got his picture taken along the way. Now, he does express that he didn't quite make it to the ocean, um, but he wanted to come back to, of course, check on his brother, check on his family. Now, outside of this little store, Officer Pornstash appears. He's giving Motorcycle Boy the big un, giving him the big licks. And Rusty James, I think, like all of us watching, inquired, what's your problem with my brother? What has he done to you? He explains that he felt it was better when Motorcycle Boy, the Motorcycle Boy, was out of time, uh, out of tune, out of time, out of touch, out of time, out of town. Because then uh, there's less gang fights, and what he hates is what Motorcycle Boy represents, and he hates the fact that a lot of the people in that town have this idea of him. That he represents something that he doesn't feel that he represents. Now, I think in the terms of the film, he's supposed to represent, uh, I suppose, adventure, freedom, uh, moving on, uh, not being restrained. Uh, he's sort of the ideal of what it means to live life and be free. Officer Pornstash doesn't like that. There should be rules. There should be a way of living. Everyone should fit into a column, a checkbox of things. We don't like that. That's, that's, this is not the Nicolas Cage mantra. The Nicolas Cage mantra is raw dogging, cheap hogging, keep on, keep on rocking, and every now and then just scream and lose your shit. And if you, you tell me that's wrong. You tell me that's the wrong way of thinking, because that's how I live my life. To the cagiest of ways. Now, they go across the river. Motorcycle Boy and Rusty James where uh, Rusty James has offered that they go just to try and forget about the day, forget about the events. It's been tough. So they go and hit up some of the bars on the other side of the river, across the tracks, over the bridge. Now here, Rusty and Rusty Jane Motor B, they have a conversation, uh, quite a telling conversation. Motorcycle Boy reveals that when he was in California, he was in a bar, minding his own business, and there's an award show on the TV. He sees none other than their long-lost mother in the crowd. And in that time, since they've been absent from each other, their mother has um, met and now lives with a bigwig film producer in, a, uh, in California, and she's living the high life, and... Because of this distraction, he never made it to the ocean, which is why he's come back. He wanted to tell his brother. His brother's obviously annoyed that he didn't tell him this earlier. But even so, Rusty James later just reaffirms that he still wants to be just like his brother. But is told by patron of the bar that Motorcycle Boy is a prince. And because he's a prince, he'll never have anyone else like him, less of all his brother, um, now, I don't know who this patron was. Never explained. Why would you explain something like that? But it just gives us an idea that the motorcycle lad, motorcycle boy, is kind of a big deal. Now, is he as big a deal as Nicolas Cage in the career he will go on to have post-Rumblefish? The answer's no. That wasn't rhetorical. There's no rhetorical questions about Nicolas Cage. It's yes or no. Is he the greatest actor of our generation? Yes. Is it okay that some people don't think he's a good actor? No. These are the questions. If anyone asks you this, those are the answers. Let's not fuck around. 
Now, Rusty James and Steve, they've been having a bit to drink. They pass out when they wake up. Motorcycle Boy has disappeared. They try to make their way back um, to safer shores. They go down an alley. Unfortunately, are attacked by some ne'er-do-wells, some vagrants, some vagabonds, some absolute pirate children, and in their inebriated state are given quite the beating. Uh, Now with this, Rusty James has an out-of-body experience where he literally floats into the sky. He looks down on Patty, who he imagines crying over him. He looks down on his friends, who announce him as a cool dude. Which I think is how we all want to be remembered, as a cool dude. And then he goes back into his body, where, lo and behold, the motorcycle boy, he turns up, he kicks seven shades of shit, manure-grade shit, weapons-grade shit, out of them, it has been kicked straight to the curb, and he saves his bloody bro. So good on you, motorcycle boy. This fight scene in particular, although not as... Uh, choreographed as the little gang fight from earlier Um, this one felt a lot more hardcore a lot more realistic in the punches you felt like a little little wincing a little bit like the motorcycle boy has a loop as he comes across doesn't fuck around with his fists so gotta give him that now they take refuge under a bridge when Rusty James comes to the following morning He's still yearning for the gang fights, or as they're known here, the rumbles of yesteryear. However, Steve, because he's been kicked in the guts, is like, we just got kicked in the fucking guts, mate. I'm done with this. This is ridiculous. You're a ridiculous person. He implores Motorcycle Boy to talk some sense into him, ask him, please, please, just tell him that the fights, these aren't anything. This is nothing to base your life upon. And seems to reach through to Motorcycle Boy, and he says, The fights, they're not anything. That sure, they used to be fun, but I stopped them because I got bored. Imagine that, having the entire city, the gang subculture in your hand, and you just get to stop the whole thing because you've beaten up so many people that you're just bored. You know what, I'm done now. This is enough. There's, there's no challenges left. I'm calling absolute time on this. And everyone's like, you know what? Fair enough. He's fucked his motorcycle bike into enough abdomens and broken hips that I think we can all agree. This is probably the right call to make. So he's got some sense. A bit more sense than Rusty James. Rusty James is a bit more of a blind follower. Far too admirable. uh, Admiring, rather, of his brother. Um, but it seems like he's getting through to him and maybe Rusty James can start to see things from another light, which is what we you know, we hope here. He's a good kid. He's a good boy. He's a good boy underneath it all. Now, they go back to the milkshake store a little later on and he's cooling off. He's drenched himself in... I assume it's water. It could have been milkshake. The film's in black and white. And then Patty walks in. So they tap Rusty James on the shoulder. Look at it's old P. McGee. It's old Pat's Bagats. What are you gonna do about it, Rusty James? So he goes over to her. Says, "Are you are you looking for me?" And she says, "No." Because let me tell you, let me tell you who she's looking for. Now, you've been thinking to yourself, now, Daryl, this film's all good and well. You've been giving us a little rundown and new thoughts on the plot so far. But what we come to this show for, what we come to this podcast for, is some hardcore, unfiltered, unadulterated Nicolas Cage. And oh, it's the moment you're waiting for. Because do you know who Patty came to that diner for? Well, let me tell you, it's Nicholas fucking Cage, yes it is, because Nicholas Cage always gets the girl. Oh yes, and then we get all the unraveling here as we find out, after all of this, that Smokey perhaps wasn't the loyal follower that he presented himself to be, is actually quite a calculated, conniving little son of a bitch. And at this point, 
I pumped my fist into the air and I said, Go on, son. As if he was my own child and I'm just crying with a fatherly pride. And then the cogs start turning. In Rusty James' head, as he realises, he comes to the cross points where he realises that Rusty has been betrayed. That Smokey isn't the friend he set himself out to be. So it turns out that Smokey had set up the orgy on purpose for the whole end goal of Rusty getting drunk enough to sleep with another woman, Patty finding out, so Patty would leave Rusty and open the door for Nicolas Cage. Oh, this is a this is a big brain, this is a galaxy brain move. When the cage comes a-knocking, when the cage boat is a-rocking, you let him in, and you let him do whatever the fuck he wants. Alright? Do whatever the fuck he wants. Now, Rusty, he's not angry. He asks Nicholas Cage if he'd like to come outside. Cage tells him he's not going to fight him. But Rusty, when they do go outside, says to him, you know what? I wouldn't have been smart enough to think of this. And pretty much just says, you know what? Fair play, mate. You've won. And Nicholas Cage did win because he always wins. That's what Nicolas Cage does. He's always three steps ahead of you. But he's so smart that he makes you think that he's a step behind. And then he fucks you. Right in the gob. And you'll be fucking grateful for it, Rusty James, that you had this opportunity to be in his presence. Right? And you got played, son. Congratulations. Because you fucking played yourself, you son of a bitch. Now, to add insult to injury... Very coldly, very calm and collected, Smokey tells Rusty James that, you know, even if Patty wasn't with him, uh, he probably still would have gone and pursued this anyway, because Patty, he's had eyes for her. He's always had eyes for her. And he lays into him a bit more and says, look, if this was the other way around, I, Smokey, would be president of the gang's you would maybe be second lieutenant, second in command. If the gangs were still around, which they're dwindling out these days, no one would have followed Rusty James into battle because he doesn't have the brains of his brother. He would have got too many people killed. And the fact he's riding out on his brother's rep is only going to get him so far. So Rusty has all that food for, uh, food for thought. Nicholas Cage goes back inside. And the message here is that Cage always gets the girl, and you know they raw-dogged. You know as soon as you went back in that diner, they got on that table, milkshakes were flying, straws were all over the place, they were raw-dogging, bear-hogging Nick Cage. He's a lock-in. Now, I'd love to say that's where the film ended, with Nicolas Cage getting the girl. It's not where it ended, unfortunately. This is the last sort of meaningful moment where we see Nicolas Cage's character... So back to Rusty James and Motorcycle Boy. Rusty James uh, finds out the Motorcycle Boy is at the pet store. It seems that Motorcycle Boy has this fascination with what he calls rumblefish. Now these are Siamese fighting fish. And interestingly, um, these fish are actually the only things that are coloured. That are of any colour, red and blue, in the film. Um... I'm sure there's an artistic reason behind this. Do you think I was lazy and looked it up? No. I could have just done a little Google. I was like, oh, what's, what does this mean? I didn't do it. So let's just all pretend that we understand it's some form of artistic expression. He's got his opinions on the rumblefish. In the pet store, they're separated. Because the pet store owner... Um, said and the rules said that if these Siamese fighting fish, these rumblefish are put together, then they're going to rumble. Then they're going to fight. But he doesn't believe this. He says that, you know what, if we put them back in the river, I don't think that they would fight. I don't think that they would fight at all. Now Nicolas Cage probably would have smashed the fish cage uh, fish tank open and screamed, but you know, we get a a more sensible take. Now, later that night, they meet their father, uh, again at a, uh, a bar. Rusty James now asks 
um, about his mother. Now, the uh, understanding has been that Motorcycle Boy and uh, their mother were perceived as crazy, but the father's like, you know, like they're not crazy. They've just got acute perception. They see things that other people don't see. They live lives in, in their free way that people wish they could live, but they're not crazy. Of Motorcycle Boy, he says, uh, you know, your brother's not crazy. I believe he was born in the wrong era. But he pities Rusty James for wanting to be like his brother. He's like, I can understand why you want it, but this isn't the way to live your life. So with this all dawning in, uh, all these different people, even Motorcycle Boy himself, trying to get through to Rusty James and say, you know what? It's not that he isn't the person that you think he is, but his life and his influence isn't what it comes across as, and there's more to it than just being like him because you think he's a cool dude, like he's an absolute tubular person. So they go back to the pet store where Motorcycle Boy goes around the back, he kicks the back door in, and then all of a sudden he starts emptying the cages Starts freeing all the birds, freeing all the other animals and creatures that are in there, getting them out of there. And he tells his brother, look, I'm going to take these fish to the river. When I've done this, what I want you to do is take my bike, follow the river, and go to the ocean. Something that Motorcycle Boy could never do. So he takes the fish in the tank he walks outside and suddenly we hear a huge bang and after this huge bang Rusty James runs outside we see Porn Stash guy Officer Porn Stash he's shot and killed Motorcycle Boy for perhaps the rather innocuous crime of stealing fish it was the stealing fish that killed him in the end it wasn't that he was too cool and taken to cool police jail for being a cool dude he was killed for killing well not the fish he was killed for killing cool I guess some would say this is slightly overkill Uh, I would be inclined to agree they go to arrest Rusty James as well but Officer Porn Stash says nah this was all this was all motorcycle boy so he's gone and bloody killed him he's killed the symbol of freedom in this film And then suddenly a lot of people start gathering round. One of them is Smokey, who makes it very clear that he had nothing to do with this. And you did not, Nicolas Cage. You had nothing to do with it. You're not the man that killed Motorcycle Boy. You're just the man that porked his brother's girlfriend. And if anything, you've come out looking like an absolute prince. It's not just the Motorcycle Boy that can be the prince. And with this, the engine starts revving on the bike... Rusty James rides away. He rides away to the ocean, fulfilling his brother's dream. And at this point, this is where the film ends. The credits roll. And that brings us to the end of our second Nicolas Cage film, Rumblefish, from 1983. Uh, Now, overall, I quite enjoyed this, as I said earlier. I think it's considerably better than Valley Girl. Um, a lot more uh, uh, moodier, a lot of visual cues from uh, German expressionism. See, you don't think you'd learned about that, did you? You didn't think you'd hear me saying stuff about German expressionism in here. Uh, we got a lot of good names in this film. We got Mickey Rourke, we got Matt Dillon, Lawrence Fishburne, Dennis Hopper, of course, Nicolas Cage. Um, and in this, we've just got. Uh, like a jazzy staccato rhythm for the underscoring the film as well. There's a lot of groovy sounds that tend to be quite poignantly and stylistically underlying a lot of the scenes as well. It's very electric, very electric, um, even though some of it might see a bit tacky at times. Nicolas Cage in the smaller role of Smokey that he played. Uh, again, always looking really good on screen still weird seeing the young Nicolas Cage with those uh, younger Hollywood looks in his father's film, born into Hollywood royalty basically 
and and just being part of the this film which was presenting the uh the nightmare world of these meaningless rumbles um that they think defines them when it really sort of defines nothing and the last visages of that film defined by the motorcycle boy and this uh all the time that he represents even though it seems like he's lived an exhausting lifetime uh over and over again um i couldn't help but wondering like would nicolas cage have been a better uh, a better play as rusty james maybe um you know he would have brought that cage energy to this i think it would have been the case of the just how the film was written not so much how it was acted um but when Nick Nicholas Cage was looking that smooth that chiseled and had a head of hair like the one that he had um that charisma that hair if i was patty yeah you can absolutely raw dog the fuck out of me uh like i say very ambitious film from a, a visual perspective I know some people think it's a little bit clumsy, but I think overall, as a film, I would probably give this 7 out of 10. As a Nicolas Cage film, 10 out of 10, obviously. Um, Nicolas Cage brings liberation to all our, all media that he comes in here, um, despite the ham-fisted metaphors of some films that he does star in. And overall, I would give this another respectable, all the same, bronze Nicolas Cage out of a possible silver and gold Nicolas Cage. The gold cages, of course, as you know, I don't give them out often. Otherwise, it would ruin the majesty of this reviewing um, situation that we're in. So overall, no Nicolas Cage losing his shit. But he stole a girl fair and square, and he definitely got his hog out, which I think we can agree was the most important aspect of Rumble Fish. So, there we go. We've done it. We're at the end of episode two. Uh, we move on to episode three next week. Thank you for joining in and listening, if, if you have been. Uh, always nice to have more Cage Rages on board again. You can listen to the episode on Acast and Spotify. If you find it on YouTube, please do consider giving the video a like and subscribe to the channel. It really helps grow the Cage Rage show. Um, and until then, we've also run the social media as well. We're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, um, Cage Rage Pod Instagram and Cage underscore Pod. At Twitter. I'm really hoping that I've got those right. I'll put the social media links in the description below if you're watching on YouTube. But again, thank you for listening. Uh, there's a lot of fun watching these. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. No sign of cage fatigue yet. Um, there will never be a sign of cage fatigue. You can't fatigue me by watching the works of the greatest actor of our generation. So, thank you. Take care. We'll see you in the next one. And until then... Keep on, keep on caging. Bye.